Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everybody. Be seated. Thank you, Pastor Micaiah and Sister Jane. We had, we did it. We had a great we had a great dinner the other night. And you know how preachers are when we get together. We start telling the stories, and and he he was asking a million questions, and hopefully I uh, answered some of them. But what an honor it is to be here in, back in my hometown. <clears throat> I was born in Watsonville, California in 19 none of your business. <laughs> That's what it says in my driver's license, 19 none of your business, or actually it was 1944. Moved, my mom and dad were divorced when I was uh, about two years old, and dad moved back to San Jose, where the, in fact, Bernal Road, that's my family across the street. I'm the sixth generation Bernal. Uh, the first Bernal that came to the valley was in 1776 with the De Anza expedition. Of course, we have De Anza College. And then uh, four Bernals migrated up here in the early 1800s. We still have the Bernal Rancho over by the Santa Teresa Golf Course. And uh, that's our family. I found out about 10, maybe 15 years ago that we're Jewish. And I thought when somebody, my sister told me that I laughed at her. I know Grandma had a little Irish Jewish blood in her, Grandma who helped raise me in Watsonville. But my sister found a book at, of all places, the uh, Pleasanton Fair on Bernal Road in Pleasanton, and it's called the Spanish Jews. And the Bernals are in there. So we began to research, come to find out uh, we're what's called Sephardic Jews, that in Spain, uh, our people practice Judaism, a form of Judaism, and in 1492, you kind of remember that year, don't you, Christopher Columbus? Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand hired this young guy from Genoa named Christopher Columbus to try to get to India to find gold and silver precious stones. But they needed a lot of money to finance the three boats. Uh, and so they kicked out all the Sephardics working with the Catholic Church, no offense, but back in the Inquisition. The Catholics hated our Sephardic forefathers, and they ended up in Portugal. We got kicked out of Portugal in 1493, and the Bernals scattered, ended up in Sinaloa, Mexico, years and years later, and then began to, to migrate up to the San Jose area. So every time I go by Bernal Road, I say hello to Grandpa, <clears throat> my, my uh, forefathers, and also Bernal Heights, and. San Francisco is a relative, and, and the oldest Bernal that came in the early 1800s had 50,000 acres over in the Pleasanton area, hence Bernal Road. So this is the land of my forefathers. I got a prophecy, Pastor. Uh, 1981, we started Jubilee in November 16, 1980. And I got a prophecy from a prophet from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and he stood up and he said, uh, Pastor Dick, Come here, he said, as God sent your forefathers to this valley to possess and claim it for, for the King of Spain and for God Almighty, 
He said, God has sent you back to the land your forefathers to establish this land for King Jesus and for the kingdom of God. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Good to have uh, some old friends. Allie, what do you do? Come up here and sit by. Come up here and sit by uh, Allie. My, my chiropractor just walked in, my Jewish chiropractor, who's still Jewish. He's kind of a Christian Jew, but Allie's no little friend. Sit up, Manny, one of, Manny, you all know Manny, one of my disciples, one of my local disciples uh, is here. Stan, Stan Keller, whose son married my granddaughter, so we're, all, so we're related. Stan was our trumpet player in the Ron Cannoli band back, back in the day. Now listen. If my wife walks in, uh, by the way, the second service, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> thank you, Pastor, for bragging on this little book, and I'll tell the story. I'm going to preach the second service something different. If you're not, if you don't have plans, stick around, because I'm going to talk about why I wrote a book, I Hear a Sound, which you were reading this morning. Well, last night, Mama Carla uh, got hungry, so she went to the little restaurant where we had dinner, and she got this big hamburger, and she didn't realize they stuck a big old toothpick, one of those big, big toothpicks. And I'm watching something on TV and I heard her say, ouch, and her tooth popped out when she bit into it because she didn't realize. And she's, and we have a, we have a four night revival starting in Sacramento tonight. I have to, after the second service, I have to, I hope my angel can fly fast because I'm, I'm heading up 680 and highway 80 to the airport in Sacramento to pick up Pastor Steve and Pastor JD from Portland and we're launching a four-night open heaven revival starting tonight at 6.30. So having, having said all that, my wife is like, she, she goes, I want to come and see the church and see some old friends. And she goes, you think it'd be okay if I wear a mask? So if Mama Carla walks in, she's not, she doesn't have COVID phobia. She just doesn't, she just looks like Jeff, Jeff, Jethro Bodine's Aunt Nellie from Arkansas. No offense if you're from Arkansas, but... I said, honey, just put a mask on and come. No, and just say hi to everybody. Stand up with me, would you? Stretch your hand towards me. A pastor told me years ago, Dick, blessed are the short winded, for they might be invited back. So I will do my best to get us out of here on time and take a little break before uh, we start again at 11 o'clock. Now, I, I want you to say this. Say, Lord, if there's anything and our speaker today that has my name on it. I'm all ears, I'm all eyes, my heart is open to receive a rhema from the word of God and from your servant. Put your hand on your chest. Do I believe this is a special day in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody? Amen. Be seated, listen, I brought... I was sharing with Pastor and Jane, I've written about, gosh, 20 books, maybe over since the late 80s, and I brought a few. Uh, if, if you can't stick around for the second service, I totally understand, but if there's any left, try to pick up this little $5 book, I Hear a Sound. Maybe my favorite book, because it took me 25 years to write it, I, I'm telling you the truth. Like once a year, I'd write a chapter, then I'd rewrite it the next year because I wasn't happy. And finally, I finished it, God's Covenant Partners. And I had a, a couple of my dearest friends write the forward. And some of you are too young probably to remember these iconic celebrities. Jim Brown, argu arguably the greatest running back in the history of football, who was my brother and dear, dear friend. I pray for Jim. He's 
battling dementia and, and Parkinson's. He's 87 years old now, and, and uh, we're family friends with his family. I'm like the family pastor. I had Jim, the great Jim Brown, read the, he's made 45 movies and very well known, especially to those of us that are a little older. And Jim read the manuscript and wrote something beautiful. And then Smokey Robinson, Mr. Mr. Motown, who I've pastored for many, many years, did a Bible study at his house for years and years with all of Hollywood would come to it, led many to Christ, cast out a few devils and healed some sick. But Smokey wrote something beautiful in this book. And then Judge Reinhold, if you, anybody ever see the movie Beverly Hills Cop? Remember Billy, Judge Reinhold? Judge is a dear friend, he wrote something. But this book will help you understand what does it mean to be a partner? We all know, and we're very happy that we're God's children. And the faithful are called God's servants. But we're also called God's co-laborers, co-laborers with Christ. But what does that mean to be a partner in the business of kingdom building? And this will, this will help your faith, I believe, in Jesus' name. A friend of mine who's a theologian uh, at our Jubilee Church in Paradise, California, wrote The Armor of Light. I so enjoyed this book. I, I brought a few copies. And he's uh, Pastor Mike is a brilliant he does church planting for the Church of God denomination, and uh, just a great guy. In fact, he's coming to our revival. And then here's my second bestseller of all time. What do you do when Lucifer, Jezebel, or Jonah join your team? And it's about toxic relationships. Nothing is more painful, destructive, than toxic people who get close to you, close to your family, close to your church, close to your business, or what have you. And so it's a book of warning and blessing of how to identify sociopaths or people that have an agenda, people that are hyper-religious, they look good, they're charming, they bear gifts, they say all the right things, but they're really sent by the devil to destroy you and your church, your marriage, your family. And a, a, a guy in London, pastor, ordered 700 copies. So I, I sent 700, bo what, seven box, no, 14 boxes, 50 in each. And I, back in the day, I faxed him. And I said, Pastor, why did you order 700 copies? He goes, I'm giving a copy to every pastor in London because we're having such problems with church splits and, and divorces and, 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 and sin. And I just want to be a blessing. And then lastly, uh, Larry Huggins, my old dear friend from Tulsa, since 1978, who now lives in Barcelona. The real you with a little Superman logo on there. Paul's greatest revelation, in my opinion, is this. You're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. And who you are in Christ. Show me your driver's license, it'll tell me a few things about you, even though you lie about your age and weight. <clears throat> Amen. You look at my driver's license. 6'3", 210 pounds. I haven't been 210 pounds since high school, but whatever. It was a misprint, I'm sure. Or if I, if I see your birth certificate, I'm going to know basically your gender, even though that's up for grabs now. But anyway, uh, I'm going I'm to know, uh, you know where you were born, what have you, your parents. But the Bible, family, the Bible tells you who you really are. Because you know who you really are? It's who God says you really are. It's not your parents. God bless them. It's not uh, your teachers, your coach, your friends. 
and even though they may be speaking some truths about you, the only person who really knows you is the one who created you, and that's your Heavenly Father. And so 12 chapters, Larry wrote six and I wrote six, of who you are in Christ. All right, let's get started. I want to, uh, well, I guess I ought to open up my notes here, and hopefully by God's grace I'll, I'll follow them. I'll tell you a funny story. I lived right up the hill here for 26 years, about four miles right up the hill here. Lived on a golf course, and I'll tell you, I tell you how I didn't have enough money to be living in a country club by far. So how in the heck did I get a house in a country club? I'll tell you the next service. It may encourage you. <laughs> in fact, I played a little golf yesterday with with a sore hip in rain and wind, and uh, my wife was like, "Honey, you're 78 years old. You should be." I said, "I know, but I feel like I'm 48." And I look like I'm 77. I better get back to my train of thought before I run off the tracks like that thing in Ohio. Here we go. All right. Let's go, family. Let's go. And again, thank you, Pastor, for trusting me with your pulpit. And I'm, I'm liking what I'm hearing from Makai and Jane about the new land, the building, Please, please invite me back when it's built. I remember those days when we built Jubilee. Stan, you remember those days? Great, great times. Great, great times. All right. Family, go with me to John 16, verse 13. We may have it up on the screen. Thank you, guys. This is the Lord speaking. However, when he, the Holy Spirit, as you know, is a he, person, with a personality. However, when he, the spirit of truth, I actually underscored that, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. I am convinced, family, God wants his people to know what's coming. Do you know that over half the Bible is prophetic? The vision of Isaiah, the vision of this. And basically, from the get-go, from the book of Genesis, it's like God is constantly, in all the books of the Bible, pointing to what's coming. He's coming. Messiah's coming. And then Jesus talking about the end of days that are coming. Book of Revelation, this is coming. Paul warning us about things. The Bible to me is two things. It's a book of blessing and it's a book of warning. It's a book of blessing because God loves us, but he loves us so much he's going to warn us to prepare us that there are things coming. And this is what Jesus is saying. Now, let me talk about the spirit of truth. Have you ever heard the term, the law of non-contradiction? I'll say it again. You can fact check me. The law of non-contradiction. In other words, what is that? Manny, things cannot be absolutely true and absolutely false at the same time. It's one or the other. John 14, 6. Jesus said, watch now. I am the way. He didn't say I'm a way. He said I'm the way. 
He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I'm, I'm one truth or a truth. I am the truth. And then he says that I am the life. Not a life, but I am the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. How many of you, how many of you believe Jesus is telling the truth? Well, listen, Jesus is one of three things. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Which makes you and I very, very unpopular in this culture. Because most people believe there's many ways, many, many ways to heaven. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, Jews. And Jesus says, no, there's not. Let me just say this. Broad is the way, but narrows the gate. Broad is the way, says to me. All religions, all major religions have some truth in them. They have some moralisms. They have, they have things that can help you. And, and they all point to a higher power. But Jesus said, I'm the, I'm the one door that gets you there. They all, may, they all may point you to heaven, but I'm the one that can get you to heaven. And I'm the only one that can get you to heaven. Let me talk about Christianity. Listen, family, we are not a subculture. We are a counterculture. We're not just another culture layered in the cultures of this world. We're a counterculture. I'm a salmon fisherman. I've been fishing basically since I was six years old for bass, trout, Ocean, I had a boat for years at Moss Landing, salmon, and what have you. You ever see salmon go up a, a river or a stream? You've probably seen it on TV if you haven't seen it in person, like I have. And what's amazing, Pastor, about these salmon, they live about four years. And they know exactly where to go where they were born. What little creek or stream. And sometimes the water might be six, eight inches high, and yet, watch, they're going to fight bears that are trying to get them, uh, a shallow water fishermen like me that are trying to catch them. I mean, come hell or, or, or low water, they're going to do their best to go home, to get home where they were born. You and I are going home when we step out of this body. We're going back to the God who created us in heaven in his heart. And we're like salmon swimming upstream against bears, fishermen, drought, what have you. Now listen, the only fish that go downstream are dead fish. And they'll just go with the current. They'll just go with the flow because they have no life. But as long as that salmon has life, God-given DNA in it, it's going to do its best to fight its way home. Church, we're in a spiritual warfare, and we are going to fight until we leave this earth for God and his glory. Can I have an amen, somebody? All right, go with me quickly to the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation. I'm going to look at a couple of things. I'm going to start in chapter 3, and I will, I will build on that a little bit next service with a Different sermon, but I probably will go back to this verse. Chapter 3, Jesus told John to write seven letters. Most of you know this. 
The seven churches in what today we call Turkey. All seven churches are in what we call Turkey. The Bible calls it Asia or Asia Minor. But today those churches or the, the remains of those churches are in modern Turkey. In verse 7, he's writing to the church of Philadelphia. This is not in, uh, <laughs> this is not in America. This is uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love, as you know. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Now, why would you write a letter to an angel? Actually, I think that's a mistranslation. In the Greek, it's messenger. I think it means the pastor or the leader, the leader of the church. I might be wrong, but that's what I think. And to the angel or leader of the church in Philadelphia, write, these things says he who is holy, who is true, yeah, amen, who has the key of David, that's to bind and loose, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. This is a small church, y'all. This is not some big mega church. This is a small church being persecuted in a culture that is extremely antichrist a pagan, pantheistic worship of many idols town. And Jesus says to this little church, I know your works. Micaiah, God knows your works. Jane, God knows your faithfulness. Watch. I know your works, see? I have set before you an open door or a brand new door. I love this. And no one's going to shut it. Gates of hell will not prevail against this. No one will shut it. For you have little strength or influence, if you will, in the region, but you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. Pastor, I believe God is opening a new door for this church, which leads to new vistas and new opportunities. Amen? Now, quickly, chapter 4. After these things, after... John wrote the seven letters to these seven churches. After these things, I, John the Apostle, looked, and behold, here we go again, a door standing open, an open heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Stan, I know you love that scripture, <laughs> being a trumpet player. Speaking with me saying, this is Jesus talking to John, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. See, there you go again. There you go again. Another place of, I want to show you what's coming. Because John, I want you to write and warn my people, encourage and bless my people, but warn my people. There are things coming. And even though it might be dark, even though it looks bad, it's going to end up okay for God's people. God's people. Notice. Come up here. It's like, it's like Micaiah, it's like Pastor, it's like, it's like Jesus is saying, John, for three and a half years I came down there. I wrapped myself in human experience, a human body, human flesh. I was tempted with every temptation known to man. I came down there and I walked with you and 11 others and other followers for three and a half years. I came down there, and now you come up here. Now that you're born again, John, and you're a three-dimensional creature, not a two-dimensional. See, before I was born again, I was a two-dimensional creature. I had a soul, I had a body. And I followed after my emotions, my carnality, my lusts, my desires, my selfishness. 
Well, once I was born again, now I'm a three-dimensional, which means I can traffic in the fourth dimension. Thank you, Dr. Cho, for that wonderful book you wrote. But because we're born again, we are three-dimensional creatures, spirit, soul, and body, led by the spirit, a renewed mind, and a body that will obey us. Can I have an amen, somebody? Amen. Come up here, John. Now watch. Elevation brings revelation. You can always see farther the higher you are. Now, John, come up here. Come up here. In the spirit, come up here. Be elevated. Again, elevation, elevation, elevation brings new revelation. Because, John, I need you, I need you up here because I'm going to show you out there. I'm going to show you things to come. I want you to write it down. And we'll call it the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation is really the revelation of Christ. It's not the revelation of John, but it's the revelation of the risen Christ. Remember, he died a, he died a lamb, but he rose a lion. They may have carried him in to the tomb, but he walked out. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen, somebody? All right, now, let's go back to the book of Isaiah. We're going to camp out there for a few minutes. Book of Isaiah. Do you know, I'm sure you know, or maybe you haven't thought about it for a while, Isaiah is the biggest book in the Old Testament, albeit there's 150 psalms, but that's not really a book. It's 150 poems and songs and what have you. But as far as a prophetic book by a prophet, 66 chapters. This is a big book. Isaiah, unlike Elijah and Elijah who were miracle workers, this is the prophet of Messiah to come. We don't see any miracle. We don't see Isaiah perform any miracles, but man, the things he writes about the virgin birth, a son will be given, a child will be born. By stripes, we're going to be healed. I mean, all through, after chapter 6, all through Isaiah, he tells us wonderful things about our Lord, about him on the cross. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing how clear the book of Isaiah. I, I, I still don't understand how Jews reading Isaiah can miss Jesus. It's like he's jumping off the pages and they still don't get it. But the Bible says they're blinded for a season. Am I right about that? There's a reason God won't let them see until it's their time. Isaiah 6. Let, let, let me read a few verses here, maybe nine verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, we're going to get back to that in a moment. I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. Wow. Above it stood seraphim. Now these, I can't wait. I cannot. One of the first things I'm going to do when I get to heaven, I'm going to find me a seraphim. I want to see one of these things. <laughs> Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, two covered his face, two covered his feet, and two he flew. And one cried to another seraphim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Why three holies? Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke, holy smoke. That's where we get the term, holy smoke. There it is, for real. 
No man, listen to me, not even Moses, no man has ever seen what he saw. No man. But I thought in the book of Exodus, it says no man can look upon God and live. It does. It does. But let's get into the Hebrew. Let's get into the word live. Let me tell you what it says. Fact check me. No man can look upon God and live the same ever. It's not he's going to drop dead. Please. God's going to call you up and then kill you? No. God invited, God invited Isaiah into his inner circle where God's having church with his angels and his seraphim and his cherubim and the host. And Isaiah is invited into the service. So when the Bible says, and it does say, no man can look upon God and live, it's no man can see this and ever be the same. You can never, ever be the same. Let's read on. So after this visitation, this revelation, this impartation, I said, this is Isaiah, woe! Oh, woe is me, because I am a man of unclean lips. Interesting, he didn't say unclean thoughts or unclean hands. He said, my mouth is unclean. And then he says, in fact, I dwell amongst a bunch of unclean people. For my eyes have seen, my eyes have seen, yes, the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. This is the altar. Now, this is the altar of sin. Now, interesting, family, when we get to heaven, you're going to see Ark of the Covenant. You're going to see an exact, I'm not going to say replica, because what Moses built was a replica. But in heaven, there's the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus' blood was sprinkled on it. Aren't you glad it's called the mercy seat, not the judgment seat? And there's going to be altars. In fact, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle, it's like God said, here God already had the blueprint in heaven. It was just a copy. Build. See, earth was created to be a little heaven. Man was created to be an image of God. Heaven's perfection. It got all messed up because of the fall. So a lot of, see, earth, earth, earth was a little, a little place God could just come and visit. He, God, didn't, God didn't want to run earth. He wanted man. He wanted man to be the ruler. When the Bible says, no, you're not ye or gods, that throws some people off. Jesus even said that. Well, the word God there in the Greek is ruler. Ruler. Know ye not that you are rulers. That God did not create earth to rule. God created the earth for man to rule. Man gave it to Satan. That's why Satan's called the God of this world, ruler of this world. But we're getting it back. Let me show you something real quick. See that top part? You know what that is? That's man in the garden. That is God's perfect plan for man. See the bottom part? That's God getting us back to the garden. 
That's why the book is so big. <laughs> that's, that's true. All right. I like doing that. See people kind of, whoa, back to Isaiah 6. Woe is me. You know, there's all kinds of different translations. I don't know if I wrote this down. I looked up a bunch of translations. And uh, in, the, in the Message Bible, Isaiah says, doomsday, doomsday, I'm doomed. I'm good as dead. In another translation, I'm cursed. I'm destroyed. I'm ruined. I'm a mess. I'm undone. Different translations. In other words, Isaiah thought what Moses wrote meant anybody that sees God is a dead man. And God's correcting that. No, you're a changed man. You're a changed man. So he takes the coal from the altar, touches my mouth, your, and says this, your iniquity, your sin is taken away, and your sin purged. This is what I call Old Testament being saved. He's not born again. You're only born again because of Jesus' crucifixion, ascension, resurrection. Resurrection, ascension. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Now, God's not talking to Isaiah. He's talking to the seraphim. He's talking to his inner circle. Who shall I send? And who will go for us? Us, meaning him and the angelic host. This is now the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost talking to the angelic host. Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, send me. After chapter 6, he becomes God's prophet. Now, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, he's a seer. He sees iniquity and sin in Judah and Jerusalem. Excuse me, Jerusalem and Judah. But after, after chapter 6, after chapter 6, <clears throat> he is God's messianic prophet. Also, many of the chapters are warnings of calamity coming to nations that are trying to destroy Israel. Fascinating, fascinating book. All right, now, let me wrap this up. And let me go to, let me go to 2 Corinthians. Oh, no, no, oh, wait, 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 wait. I got a couple of thoughts here I want to share with you. In the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah and Isaiah, pastor, are first cousins. <clears throat> I, the rabbis, they have a lot more that's of their history that's not in our beautiful Bible. Isaiah, younger, literally adored, maybe worshipped his cousin. King Uzziah started off marvelously. He was really a good king. But like Lucifer, he got narcissistic. He got full of himself. He thought... He could go into the temple and offer incense, which only the priest can. And the priest tried to stop him, and he gave them hell. And he ended up getting leprosy and dying in the year that King Uzziah died. Watch now. This is worth the price of admission. In the year the king died, he saw something had to die before God could show him his future and what was coming. Called a stronghold. Isaiah had a stronghold, which was keeping him from being, watch now, if I may suggest, Isaiah loved King Uzziah more than he loved God. And maybe that's why 
God's not showing us our future because there is someone or something, an idol, keeping us from hearing what God wants to tell us about our future and the future. Now, having said that, last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In the year the king died, heaven opened. And Isaiah saw the future. You know, I was thinking, Manny, I was thinking, when my company, when my company sent me I worked, I worked, I was an iron, union iron worker for, I worked steel for about 16 years, chain link fence and then rebar from 66 to 80 when we started Jubilee. And in 1975, my company said, Dick, you want to run our jobs from Oregon border to Sacramento? Absolutely. So we moved to the little town of Paradise, California, which burned down five years ago, but slowly being rebuilt. And once I got away from San Jose and my friends and my bars and my lifestyle, I moved to a town I knew nobody with my little Baptist wife who's witnessing to me all the time. Something had to die for something to be birthed. Relationships had to die. My lifestyle had to die. My choices had to die. But I never would have went to church, got saved, baptized the Holy Ghost, started Jubilee if I remained in San Jose. I don't think that would have happened. I don't think that would have happened. There was too much influence. I had to get away. I had to get away. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not natural or carnal, but mighty, yeah, in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into, bringing every thought, watch now, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Not to your obedience. Religious people think, because they don't drink, they don't chew, they don't go out with girls that do. I used to go to Arbor, I used to go to movies. You ever, you ever meet somebody that they just got saved, they're on fire, but they'll tell you everything they, they're not doing. It's kind of like in the garden. How, how many trees, how many, how many trees did God say to Adam and Eve, don't eat from? How many? One. And yet there were all kinds of trees to enjoy. Religious people think, wow. If I abstain from one tree, man, I'm going to abstain from 10 trees. I'll really be holy. I'll glow in the dark. Get rid of my beer. Get rid of my movies. TV. Just stay home. Shut the windows and breathe. Hopefully glow in the dark. But I don't do anything now. I don't eat red meat. I don't eat pork. Religious people think the more you give up, the more God's going to love you. 
Now, I'm not saying, you know, drink yourself to death or overeat or not go to the gym. These are things that are just kind of common sense of what's unhealthy, what's healthy. But there's only, there's only one tree, only one tree. And God said, freely enjoy the whole thing. Jesus came to set us free, not to add more bondage through religion. Amen, somebody? All right, here we go. Pull it. Watch now. Bring every thought, every thought. Here, there was a, a, a beautiful Dominic, Italian Dominic Catholic uh, personality from the, not a Jesuit, but the order of the Dominic, the Dominic order back a thousand years ago. And his name is, uh, let me get his name here, Thomas Aquinas. He was a, uh, a friar. There you go. This is, this is a thousand years ago. He wrote this. The world, the flesh, and the devil are the implacable enemies of the soul. The world, our flesh, and the devil are constantly trying to indoctrinate us to be and do what's opposite of this holy word. That's why I said we're not a counterculture. We're not a subculture. We're a counterculture. Our flesh. Paul said, there is nothing good in my flesh. Listen, your flesh is all dressed up and no place to go. Your flesh is not going to heaven. Your flesh is not going to hell. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Man was made from what? Red dirt. Adam means from the red earth. I have a son with red hair. What's, le what's left? <laughs> Turning gray, he said. Adam's body was made from good old terra firma. But girls, you were made from a clean white bone. That's why you spend three hours in the spa. That's why we don't like taking showers. We don't care. We don't care. The other day, honey, did you take a shower? I said, yeah, yesterday. She goes, well, I put some deodorant on. I said, let's go. Oh, your hair looks good. Yeah. Okay, whatever, whatever. You know, I think the rib bone, I think the rib bone that God took from Adam was right here. The main bone protecting his heart. That's why men are to protect our women, our wives, our daughters, women in general. Bring it to the obedience. Bring every thought, every thought. Watch now. And of course, the devil with his fiery darts. Every thought that the world is trying to get into our brain, every thought that your flesh wants to cut some carnal, lustful, evil, whatever, every thought that the devil... The Bible says, instantly grab that thought and bring it to the obedience of Christ. What does God's word say about what I'm thinking? What would Tiger do? No, no. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And that's how we stay sanctified. And we stay to where God can trust us and show us things to come. Matthew Henry said this, the great theologian, 
The work of ministry is spiritual warfare. Man, you listen to this now. The work of ministry is spiritual warfare with spiritual enemies for spiritual purposes. He also wrote, every day, every day is a day of spiritual warfare. There's not a day that you're not going to be tempted to do something that goes against the counsel of the Almighty. Can I have an amen, somebody, about that? Casting down imaginations. So I am convinced, family, God really wants to show you your future and maybe even the future. Again, to bless you, but to warn you of things coming. I've had dreams and visions that probably saved my life. Don't go there. Don't do this. I could, I could spend the next hour or two telling you things where I should not be standing here. I should be, I should be dead as a doornail. I don't, know, I don't know where that comes from, but whatever. And yet God spared me such time as this. We're in a, we're in a war, and if you follow the news a little bit, you see what's going on in the world? It's heating up. Having lunch with a friend of mine yesterday after golf. Actually, before golf, we're having lunch. Because it was raining. We said, let's, let's see if we can ride out this rain. Waiting for my nephew to come down and play with us. My friend said, uh, pretty much, how close do you think we're to the end? Talking about different things. China, Russia, Syria. What's going on? How close are we to World War III? How close is Iran to having a nuclear weapon? Will they attack Israel? What would spark? NATO, what would spark? What would spark <clears throat> World War III? I don't know. But it's something I'm thinking about more than I have in a long, long time, because it seems like the end is getting closer. Maybe not in my generation, but I would venture to say my children, my grandchildren for sure, Jesus is coming back. But before that, and I pray to God there's a rapture of the church. But that might even happen after some horrible things take place on this planet. If ever the church needed to pray, I was studying revival, Pastor. I was studying like, I wrote a book. I wrote a little book that helped spark the Pensacola revival. We talked about that. Four million people visited Pensacola, Florida. And the pastor preached out of one of my books. I don't have it. I got to get it back in print. For nine Sunday nights, he preached out of my book, Dorman Hell's Brazen Gates, which I promoted on TBN and other places and sold thousands and thousands of copies of that book all over the world. And Pastor John Kilpatrick preached out of that book Revival broke. I know what it's like to have a pastor in Korea with a church of one million people. He started with five people in 1958, right after, right after the Korean War. Korea was the second poorest nation, second poorest nation in the world. I think Haiti was number one, South Korea number two. I mean, there wasn't a tree in South Korea. Everything was cut down for firewood or for whatever. 
And Dr. Cho was given an army tent with, with holes in it. And he started his church with 10 chairs. And five people, his first service, five people came to church and it was raining. And he had to keep moving the pulpit because water was leaking. And he built the largest church in the world. This is my pastor who discipled me since 1986. He just passed away last year. I traveled the world with the greatest pastor in the history of Christianity. And I learned a few things about revival. How do you go from five people to one million members? I learned some things from him. And that's how Jubilee went from a handful of people to at our peak, 21,000, according to Victor, 21,000 members. Weekly attendance, 8,200. We had like a $15 million. I had 104 employees. I was laughing. I said, my secretaries had secretaries. <laughs> great days, great days. I know what it's like to have a church in revival. I know what it's like to have a pastor who's the father of revival. I know what it's like to write a book and revival breaks out. And that's why I'm feeling something about this church. I'm feeling something about this couple. I'm feeling something that might, might shock you. But let me warn you, family. We, we say we want revival. We pray for revival. Do you know how, do you know how messy revivals are? Do you know Mario Marilla had a 22-week revival at a church up here off Hillsdale, and it really destroyed the church. You know why? Because it was one of those kind of, I, I don't want to sound racist, but it was like a lily white kind of wealthy people, Catholics that got filled with the Holy Ghost, and they, and they, and they were enjoying being spirit-filled, kind of half Catholic, half evangelical. And they built a beautiful, beautiful campus. And the pastor, who was a good man, he invites, 1981, he invites my friend Mario Murillo there for a 22-week crusade. But guess who's getting saved? The tattooed community. And that was the women. Bikers, gang members. By the hundreds, were filling that church every night. Coming to the altar, throwing their drugs, throwing their guns. It was a revival of street people, of a rough crowd. And the church, the church hated it, and it split the church, and the church folded. I tried to buy the church. They wouldn't sell it to me. So be careful what you pray for. Revivals can be messy, hard work. People, some people will get upset. At, I mean, I had hell's angels coming to my church. I lost people. Stan, I'll tell you. I did, I'm kind of the unofficial chaplain of the local hell's angels. I marry them, and I bury them. Unfortunately, I just buried one less two months ago over here at Oak Hill. I was one of their karate instructors in 1966. They wanted me to be a prospect of the Hells Angels. But my grandma told me I couldn't. Pretty, that's pretty true. Are these your new friends, Dickie? Hmm. As they parked their bike on her lawn. I said, like, come on, guys. Bikes. But I want to see a revival before I go to heaven. I'm 78 years old. I want to see another move of God in the Bay Area. I want to see another Jubilee Christian Center in the Bay Area, and even more. I want to see, I'm living, I'm living at the, by the state capitol. Oh, God help us. I want to see a revival. I want to see a Northern California revival. I don't want to just read about Pensacola. I don't want to just read about Asbury. I don't want to just read about revivals of old. I want these old eyes to see. I want these ears to hear. I want to be in God's presence I want to see thousands flocking, waiting in line. Do you know what Asbury? 70,000 people came to that little town of 6,000. 
and people waited two and a half miles in the cold just to come in and feel God's presence. Stand up, everybody. That's what I want. That's what I want to see. Father, thank you for allowing me this, these few minutes to share with these people of yours, this, this young, growing church with this new couple, new to me, not new to you, Lord. Thank you for seeing old friends I haven't seen for quite a while. Good to see them. And Father, I just stretch my hand. I pronounce an apostolic, prophetic, pastoral blessing over this house. And anything I could do in the future to <clears throat> encourage Pastor, Sister Jane, on this and that, things that worked, things that didn't work, things that I went through, things I wish I didn't go through, and yet came out on the other side. And it was all said and done. God, you had your way. Pray for Ron Carpenter and redemption that continues. My son in Morgan Hill, the church's cathedral, my friends in this valley, that it's not just one church. But as you lift the tide, all churches will rise. And we will change the Bay Area from what it's known for now to what it will be known for in the future. In Jesus' name, God bless you, everybody. I'll see you next service. You want to stick around? You're awesome. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.